This is the Fearless Pricing Podcast, where we meet and talk about real-life pricing experience. I'm your host, Filip Fucic. Pricing is hard. This is a podcast for fearless professionals and those who would like to feel that way. It's an unfortunate truth that most service pricing is created using either guesswork or copying other people's guesswork. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fearless Pricing Podcast. Today on the What I Should Have Charged stories, we have Alan Stevens. Alan Stevens is an international profiling and communication specialist who has worked with international clients, the likes of Disney Films and Gillette, in high-profile organizations like the Australian Federal Police to help them to understand how people think. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage their clients and prospects, enhancing their presentations and negotiation skills, and increasing sales and with parents and teachers to help them enhance the ability of their children to reach their full potential while improving the experience of the parents, teachers, and students. Alan, welcome to the show. Tell us the story. Thank you very much. Well, as you said, what I should have charged, well, as you know, as a profiling and communication specialist, when you first hear what I do, people go, what is it you do? What is that stuff? Is it mind reading? Is it uh, clairvoyance, etc.?" I had not only the problem of getting the right price for it, but getting people to understand it as well. So when I first started looking at what I should be charging, I had nothing to compare it to because there weren't many people around the world who were doing the face profiling as I was doing it. There were a few people who were doing it for just working out personalities, others that were using it for understanding someone's emotions, but nobody that was doing it with all those components put together. And so I looked at them, looked at their pricing, and then I started looking at, well, who else does other people see as my competition? You know, disc profiling, Myers-Briggs, those sort of psychometric profiling questionnaires. And so I started looking at putting my pricing in line with that because I thought most people look at what I do and go, how does this fit in with Myers-Briggs and disc and Enneagrams and, and Kobe and all the other systems that are out there? And so... By having a price that it should have been charged for, people just didn't understand it and I wouldn't have got any clients. So like so many people, when we start a business, we go and look at our competition and we set our pricing up in relationship to what they're charging. What we don't realize is they've done the same thing and they've got the next person. Everyone's been driving their prices down. So nobody was really charging what they're supposed to be charging. And I'm charging even less than what I should be charging simply because I'm providing a service which is completely different that adds so many more services to psychometric profiling and in the training of people on how to use it and everything else, I just wasn't charging anywhere near the right price. So it's taken quite a long time to get my confidence back because when you go and you price things that way, your confidence gets really damaged. And so it was hard for me to turn around and put my prices back up. And it's taken me a long time to build a reputation up where I've got clients who are still doing testimonials now for me a decade later after I've worked with them. So showing that this has long lasting results. It's only when I started seeing those results from them, I started going, well, am I charging the right price for what I should be charging? Let's try it. when we charge a price to someone, we always give them more value than what we charge them for. But the difference between the value I was giving the, the clients and what I was charging them was worlds apart. You know, I needed to bring it up quite dramatically to bring it so that people could actually see the value as well. Because people pay for what they perceive the value to be. And if your price is really low, 
they perceive your value is pretty low as well. And so I had that, the people's opinions, the belief systems, my own insecurities, everything holding my price right down. And it's taken me a few years to get it back up again. It's a good instinct that we have from commodities. If something is cheap, there's a reason that it's cheap, but it's mm. completely different when they're not really sure what your service is or what the value is. And the first time that they heard about it and you're completely right, I usually joke, but it's only a half joke that most people set their price by either guesswork or copying other people's guesswork. That's it. <laughs> it's so true. You weren't sure what the price should be or what the value is. What were the indicators that your value and then what you were charging for it were worlds apart? How did you know? Well, one of the things was also looking at the amount of time I was spending with my clients and then their feedback as I was working with them and after I'd worked with them. And the testimonials that were coming back were really strong on the results they got. People were saying it's, it's changed their lives. It's actually even to the point in some cases saved their lives in the profiling. And I'm charging how much? It's like, it's almost an insult to them to charge them so little because it was also by charging so little, it meant that I had to be working very long hours to get a living out of it for the amount of time that I was putting into it. Whereas others that were doing other systems, they were providing this, their service in a fraction of the time I was providing it and we were charging a similar price. They were leaning on a template. So. That's I it. haven't yet heard anybody say Myers-Briggs changed or saved their life. It, it's a nice thing to have, but it's a nice thing to have. It's <laughs> the lifesaver. Well, I'll never right? knock those because they serve a purpose. Yeah. Now, if you were applying for a job and say if you've advertised a job, and you've got a thousand people applying for the job. Same thing with DISC. If you then turned around and had to face profile everybody the way I profile people for one job, for a thousand people applying for it, you're going to be there for a long time. So those systems cull the numbers. For somebody who wants to build a relationship with somebody very quickly to get an idea of where they fit, those sort of programs are a good way to do it. You get a quick response. It's good for the person who does the profiling, but I don't see it as being respectful to the person who you profile. I then come along and take them out of it and say, look, out of the box and say, look, would you like to be treated as an individual, completely unique and different to everybody else on the planet? The answer is always yes. That was one of the indicators too. When I started talking that way, I was listening to my own words and going, one system provides that and then I provide all of this as well. And I thought the difference in the pricing being so close to the other people, it was ridiculous. I started chastising myself would probably be the way to put it, you know, slapping myself across the back of the head as well and going, you know, have you really measured what you provide to the other people? What's the value of this to them? And then when I've worked that out, then charge accordingly. Not more than that, always less than that. So they get value out, they get a return on investment. You know, some of the people I've trained on how to read people, they've, in their first few weeks on the jobs, you know, people they couldn't get across, clients they couldn't get across the line before, or all of a sudden they've gone across the line to the point that they've made 10 times the money that I charged them to do the course in the first place. That's a good indicator, right? Yeah. It was similar to me because I used to do other things way before 15 years ago when I started my career, I did business plans. And then afterwards I did 
triage for marketing materials and websites from the marketing perspective. Those were all useful things. But once I started doing this, I realized that people have, you know, tenfold more, like fourfold in the first year. And then God knows what happens in the second year, more and more. And it was a good indicator along with some clients, especially one saying, you really undercharge for this yeah. after they paid, which is completely fair. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But what I realized, and I think I wrote about it, is that our perception of our value is always going to be greater than that of the client because we simply know more about it. So we see more about it, that that's completely natural. If the client says yes to your offer, that means that they are happy to pay for the value that they perceive, which is always going to be smaller than the true value. That's it. So by the virtue of clients saying yes to your offer, you are providing more than enough because you're providing enough because they said yes, but you're also providing all of the things that they don't see. So something that I don't hear often said, but something that I firmly believe in is that if you sell us an expertise-based service like yours, the client is always going to get more out of it than you will. Mm. I'm not saying you're doing anybody a favor. I'm just saying, mm. don't worry mm. that you're not providing enough value. You are. Mm. And some of the value they only see after a while, other people see about them, in your case. It's very hard in these areas that I work with in expertise-based services to find a case where the price was actually way too much for the value. Usually it's firmly the other way around, yeah. right? Yeah. Very nice. Well, it's always going to come back to the, the person's perception on the client's perception on what it's worth, whether it's worth that much or not. It's their perception of it. It's how well it's been addressed to them, presented to them, showing how it fixes their problem, saves them time. How do you work on that perception? Well, it's always, as I say, well, you've got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. When you're talking to a client, you use them in that proportion. So I'm using my eyes and my ears to take in all the information I can to whether I'm reading them right, what's going on. But when I'm talking or when I'm using my mouth, it's always ask every question you can possibly think of and then ask one more. And people listening to this will probably say, how the hell can you ask one more question when you've asked every question you can think of? Well, by asking the person all about their business, finding out as much as you can and asking questions, all the questions that come up when you've exhausted those, there's always the last question, which is from what I'm understanding, this is how I understand it all. Have I got it right? Now, two things come from that. If they say, yes, you've got it right. You know, you've got instant rapport with them because they know you've been listening and everything else. If they say no, then you're into a conversation where they correct you on the things that you may have got wrong. But that can be a greater win than the first one, because now you're into a deeper conversation. You're actually connecting at a deeper level and just asking questions. So once you've got that, you know, then that you've got the right uh, products or service, because I never go into a meeting with saying, oh, this is what I'm going to sell to the person. I never know what I'm going to sell until I've actually worked out what they need. Then I present that to them. So I haven't really sold them that, that to them, but they bought it from me. So yeah. they have then in that response have seen the, the value of what I've got to offer because of the conversation we've had. It's also showing them that 
yes, you know, I understand the narrative of what they've been through, the situations that have happened, but I've also got examples of people who have been through that. So I've got the results and it's a matter of understanding whether they, is that what they really want to achieve? They may tell you one thing, but in asking the questions, you find out if that's what they really want. And in that, you now can then present the proposal, the product, the service, whatever, that's going to fulfill their needs. And straight away then, they're the ones that have shown you through that conversation that they're seeing the value of what you've got to offer and the price accordingly. Before we continue, I'd like to suggest two things. Firstly, if this is the first time you're tuning in, I'd love for you to subscribe and hear the next story in a week. And second, if you feel you could do with a little more fearless pricing content, look in the show notes for the link to the popular, short, and sometimes funny bi-weekly newsletter. That's it. Let's get back to the show. How does a bad fit look like? Well, what do you mean by a bad fit? <laughs> I mean, somebody that would probably not benefit that much from your service or somebody that would simply not be a good match for the way that you conduct your service. Well, I never I've... just close off the conversation with them and saying, okay, well, I can't really help you or I don't want to work with you or whatever the feeling might be. It's always a case of, well, I'll educate them. I'll talk to them about the alternatives. They're not going to be a fit for me because of personality or that what they really want is not going to be, they need something different. First of all, then through the network of people I've got, I'll recommend one of my colleagues, somebody I know who can then look after that service. So I'm not just turning around and saying, I don't want to work with you because Personalities are quite interesting. Two people will be really great people, but they can clash personality-wise. Yeah. And I don't want to work with people where I'm going to clash with them. They might be a great person. I'll have worked that out in the conversation anyway. I'll know that this is a great person, but the way they work, it's just going to be frustrating. So therefore, okay. I'll know out of the people that I work, you know, that I'm connected to, who can actually provide a service that can work with their personality. And I'll make that recommendation. I'll say, look, I probably can't work with you at the moment, but I've got somebody who can, and I'll lift that person up. I'll actually virtually do the sale there for them, right? The spot and say, well, talk to them about that person, the qualities they've got, how they will work very well with them. I say, of course, I can see in your personality, this is the way you like things to be done. This is the way that they like to work. I think it's yeah. going to be a much better match than working with me. Can I make that introduction? I, so, one of the reasons that I wanted you to, to come on the show is that I think you have a really strange, but in a wonderful way, let's say posture the word competition. The way I heard you say something about your business the first time you said, I'm training my competition. Hmm. Because we are not, and I'll ask you something about this, just if somebody thinks Alan is kidding, he's not. But competition is something that is usually, let's say at least a little destructive or- Very uh, destructive, you know, I think. In- Markets that are saturated. It's a market where everybody who wants a service can get it from basically anyone at any time, right? The supply mm. is uh, vastly outstripping demand. That's it. This is not the case for most expertise-based services and especially mm. not for yours. So mm. even if you lived a hundred years more, you wouldn't be able to come close to serving everybody who needs what you provide. So there's no point in you trying to hoard clients. 
right? If I was able to do that, this beard of mine would roll all the way down the street into the next neighborhood. I'll have been around that long. So no, there's too many people on the planet for one person to service them. We need hundreds of people doing what I'm doing. So I don't see anybody as a threat in any way because it's not my attitude. So when you've got that saturated competition, the only way to pick up jobs is to have a point of difference because there's so many people out there. It's hard to show people that you're better than the others. So the only way around that one is to drop your prices. The next thing you know, everybody's on a spiraling rate, a spiraling race to the bottom. Mm. And the, the industry's uh, screwed. The clients don't get what they deserve, what they need. And so everybody loses in that. Whereas I look and think, right, well, even people may look at Myers-Briggs and DISC and other systems like that as my competition. I won't put them down because if you put someone down, you're standing on them and you push them into the gutter, where are you standing? You're in the gutter as well. But if you lift them up and then you stand on their shoulders showing your point of difference, you'll lift them up into the sky, you're well up there and the estimation that the client has about you is so much better. Like a couple who one partner rubbishes their partner to their children. They're going to lose the love of their children because they think they're winning, but they're not. It's the same thing when you rubbish your competition down. You rubbish them and put them down you're damaging your reputation in the process. So I'll talk about the benefits that the other people have and how it will help them and everything else. And then I'll show them the point of difference of working with me, what extra that is going to mean if they work with me. But in some cases, it might be a case of, yeah, I reckon you should go and work with them and get to that level. When you get to that level, if you want to take it to the next level, then you come back to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to chase somebody, like we're chasing a fox down until it falls over exhausted and pick it up. It's a matter of if that fox is going to run, let it run, but know that I'm behind it. There's curiosity that wants to keep coming back and having a look. And when I do it that way, the person might walk out the door. They don't even get to the competition. They come back in the door and they go, I've changed my mind. Yep. Let's do something. Uh, yes. And the only way that you can get a client in a saturated market is to take it from somebody. Mm. Right. But that's how the auto industry works. Like you're either a Toyota man or a Citroen man or whatever, right? Usually people buy the same brand of car over and over again, but if they don't, then you've taken a buyer from, from somebody. That's not how it works here. There's so many buyers and so little time. Yeah. You're not always able to talk to all of them. Uh, at, at the same time, you, you could be missing clients, but not because they don't exist or somebody else yes. has taken them from you. It's because they don't know that you exist and that's they it. don't recognize that they, that they need you, but that's a different set of things. Mm. And if they hear about a competitor, they might get interested in this kind of a service and you may end up getting up their business or their business later or a part of their business, or just like you recommend people to competition, mm. competition uh, recommends people to you. Yeah. So. Well, I'll give you an example, if I may here. And I had a, a profiler that I met over in Romania. Now he does face-to-face -face workshops and he works with a similar system to mine. It complements mine. It's got a few differences and it complements quite nicely. And we were talking and we ended up training each other, spend some time together talking about it and cross, I talk about mine, he talked about his and we built a better understanding. Then I realized he'd put a post up on Facebook that he was running an in-house presentation on a weekend. So I grabbed the post and I shared it all over the place saying that I'd worked with Alexandra 
He really knows his stuff. He's brilliant at what he does. And if anybody's in Romania, they should get along to his workshops. And he thanked me for it. He said, but why'd you do it? I said, because I can. I said, think about it. We're in an industry where not many people understand what it is we do. If I'm out there talking about you, I'm not talking about me and people are more likely to listen when I'm talking about yeah. somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm lifting you up. I'm raising you up. I'm saying it, we're, you're brilliant at what you do. We've worked together, which puts me on the same level as you. So I'm advertising me as I'm advertising you. And yeah. that's where I started looking at it and realizing that when you fight your competition, you're not going to get anywhere. But because of that, Alexandra and I are talking about putting our projects together. I've got another profiler in Ireland, Joseph, who works with a different system, but there's so many things I believe we can complement on. There's another course that we can put together. Yep. And we're talking of every time we're posting stuff, we're talking about each other as well. This is yep. the way I believe the competition should work. If you raise your comp the competition up and you uh, get into the conversations with them, they're not going to fight you and put you down. They're going to make do the same thing because they realize that you're lifting yourself up at the same time you're lifting them and they're going to want to do the same. This is why I co-wrote my first book. Mm. So Klaus does many things and then pricing is one of them, but it was much, a much easier time finishing a book with somebody that knows what they're talking about hmm. than a lot. People said, your first book? Yes. Yes. My first book. <laughs> it's, it's fine. So I don't think you would have gotten uh, many Romanian clients hmm. looking for live events anyway. Hmm. Right. And even online courses, the value of the coin over there is completely, or is extremely low compared to Australia. Mm. And so they couldn't afford my prices anyway. But if I can yep. help to boost them up and they then start getting more productive, so they've gone to, to Alexandria and done his courses, then they turn around, they want to learn more and they can see my online courses. I might pick some of them up there because they've got more cash to be able to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Always be willing to uh, support others because as they say, what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community isn't always will be eternal, but it always comes back as well. And so you have to put, if you open up a bank account, you've got to put money into it before you can take it out. That's my attitude to life. Help others, put into it, and then you'll get the return out of it. So I have to say, I really see where you got your Papa Smurf nickname. Okay. <laughs> Because that was just wisdom in a nutshell. Thank you. I wanted to mention the points of difference that you mentioned. Mm. There's a distinction that I think is useful mm. that I've been taught in my studies. There's a difference between points of difference and points of parity. Mm. They are both ways that you present yourself in relation to other things, to others mm. in the field. But the points of difference are those things that you do have that they don't. Yeah. But that's not the complete story of why me. There's mm. also the points of parity. We both have that. These are yeah. their advantages and these are mine. So I mm. have it. It's just better there. And this that's is better it. here. And therefore, this is better for this case. And this is better for that case. That's it. So in my example, I don't have many colleagues just like you don't. There's a, a clear distinction and each and every one of us has a specialty, right? Mm. So I'm the only one for now that specializes in solo practitioners, solo entrepreneurs. I am one. I'm talking mm. about mistakes that I've made. I'm talking about 
starting from a bad negotiation position, usually, mm. because that's how I started. Yeah. I started with my back against the wall. And there's much better people for teaching you how to understand your pricing from a position of strength, mm. because that's a different game. And it exactly. uh, mm. goes at a different pace. And I can easily point out, yeah, this for, I don't know, agencies. Oh yeah, you're much better going off with Blairance. Mm. It's an understanding of your market position that allows you to be secure in these kinds of points of difference and points of parity. Yeah. So what do you do differently now than what you did then? Well, when I first started, as I said, it was trying to get the business going. So it was all about me. It was all about trying to get the clients. Now I got to that point in my life. You mentioned a moment ago about creating and training my competition. The way I looked at it was that we need more people doing what I'm doing. But I know that if we look at some of the coaching out there, some really great coaches, but in the same field of coaching, there's a lot of coaches who still haven't worked through their own stuff. As you said before, you might have an agency that has all the knowledge, but I want the person who has the experience, who's been through it and understood it. So that was one thing I looked for. But I also then realized that with a lot of those coaches, they hadn't been through their stuff yet. And they're trying to advise other people on stuff they haven't even been through. And I thought, right, the last thing I need is somebody and people to come along, pick it up and do the same to this as well. Go out, think they know it, not really do it properly and ruin the reputation. So then from that point on, I'm in damage control. Everybody I've talked to, I've got to convert them back around, show them why the stuff is good without rubbishing the person they've already been to, but point out to them that, hey, some people do know and some don't. From that point, I thought I need the best doing it. But then the word competition, I've got an exclamation mark simply because it doesn't exist. Because once I start working with those people, they become my strategic alliance. I'm in my seventies now. So the last thing I want to be doing is going out, doing presentations, running around the world, traveling and everything else. I want to work from home. I just want to put more and more work products and services together that I can have other people as affiliate partners go out and sell. Now, who's the best people to do that? Then somebody who's got a vested interest in training others. Mm. So if I train other people in doing what I do, provide all the online stuff that they may need. I had a young guy in Africa, is probably the best way to address this. Loazi, he was sent to me by the lady who taught me part of what I learned. And she said, you've got to go to Alan. He'll teach you everything else you need to know because he wanted to work in education. And so I asked him at the time, I said, what's your focus? Is it just to teach the teachers how to read the kids or is it to coach and also mentor, work through problems that exist in the education system? He said, oh, definitely that. And I said, right. So if you had some services where you could like on the recordings that you'd give to a person and say, right, this week I want you to look through the, and learn this then when we get together, coach and mentor and really apply it. And he said, oh, that'd be brilliant. Because doing that, he can charge for the mentoring mm -hmm. and that's all his. But the online course, we set that up as an affiliate program. So he gets 50% and I get 50%. Because at the end of the day, somebody who's got the IP and somebody who's got the network, who's the most important? Yeah. Equally important because yeah. one without the other doesn't work. So I said, right, 50-50 split. I put the stuff up online. You then use that as part of your training, client pays for that. You and I split that and you keep all of your coaching. That's yours. And so I said, okay, let's now work on developing a program 
that you're putting your stuff on top of mine. And that now becomes a program that you go out and deliver. But because we've worked on that together, I own the cop for that as well. So I can then train others to do the same thing. I can then find others in other industries like dentists, for instance, dentists who train other dentists in training them on how to be able to show the other person, they're already teaching them how to build their dentistry practice, but how to actually read their clients, how to read their staff, how to be able to put people at ease when they come in for dental work. And so we're building programs together on that. So the more of those people I've got, and I'm just working on the 50% of the online material, say there's a hundred of those people, I'm making 50 times more than just putting that program together on my own. Yeah. They will never go into competition because I keep working on that and making sure it's up to date and I'm doing more research all the time. So it's always going to be at the leading edge for them to go and duplicate that. It's going to take them time and money, downtime from the, doing their coaching work to put it together. They're going to lose money. So I don't need franchising agreements. I don't need licensing agreements. I'm a product of what I teach and that is how to build relationships. So I have as people say to me, what happens when I finish training with you, Alan, when I finish your course, I go, well, I hope you like me because you're stuck with me. Because what's going to happen is we're going to have a relationship where you're going to want to continue that relationship. And I'm very happy to continue it because it makes my life so much easier. So let's do it. Yep. That's why I say I don't believe in competition. I like the, the program we've known about it before because the incentives are aligned. As you described, right? It's very important to understand how the incentives lie if you want a relationship that is long-term and you usually do. One of the things that is fundamentally flawed with charging per hour, sometimes the only thing that you can do, I understand this, but it's fundamentally skewed because the incentives are not aligned. Right? You're doing it to make money. The more hours you spend, the more money you get. Right? And the client wants the problem solved in as few hours as possible. Mm -hmm. And there's ethics and there's codes of conduct and there's, you know, a personal responsibility. But those are all band aids. Mm -hmm. Those are all band aids <laughs> on a deal that is not aligned mm -hmm. per incentive. And Something along the lines that you describe is basically, it's based on value. Mm. So you had some costs putting th that online thing together and your partners have costs to, to get people, but nobody's weighing those. You're weighing the value. Mm. They bring the network, you bring the IP. Yeah. And... The value is about equal because one cannot exist without the other. And the costs, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. It's more upfront, but less later. Let's talk about something constructive, which is value in, in these cases. Whenever it's possible, I think value is the answer here. I'm happy that you mentioned false positives when you said the last thing you want is for people to think they know uh, mm. what they should know and then spread this around mm. and then everybody says, oh yeah, yeah, that completely doesn't mm. work. That's a lot of right. jumbo. So in business in general, and this is what I've been taught and what I think is also true, is that there's one of the more 
dangerous thing in business is a false positive. Mm. A negative is much better. Yeah. Oh, true. True, that's right. It's within your field, absolutely. But in yeah. business in general, a false positive is a dangerous thing. Well, one thing, if people see you as providing something you don't actually provide, then the end result is that's damaging to your reputation. It's not good for the client who paid for it in the first place. But it's like people say to me, well, look, if you get somebody who's going through issues or haven't worked through their issues yet, well, sorry, but by the time we get through my master course, I guarantee they've worked through that stuff because learning how to read people is going to be something they're going to learn a lot about themselves in the process and in the conversations we have. This is where the extra value comes in because of the work that I do, especially with well, both men and women now in business who are going through stressful times and helping them to find their ways through all of that, not just financially but around their emotions, the pressures that have hit them. And so anybody that comes to me for training is going to get all that as well. It's all part of the package deal. But it's again, when you mentioned before about hourly rates and things like that, it depends on what you're looking for because I'm looking to get, and the people who do my training is a set period of time, but how much extra work they put in, that's going to vary depend on that person and the questions they've got. I'll keep adding value adding to make sure the person comes out really well. But I'll be very careful at the front to pick the people who are not going to be a waste of time in the process as well. But I had a client who was going to start doing the master course with me and he turned around and he said, well, I've just got a deal that has been falling off the table. Two guys who run a franchise that they're putting together and it was all around a, a center where people would come along, bring their families, et cetera. And he said, I've been asked to quote on building the first building. And with the in mind that there might be another four or five buildings to be done later on. He said, I've quoted $2 million on the building and they won't go above 1.6. And every time I talk to them, they're pulling further and further back. So I asked him to tell me what he was going to send. I said, well, don't send that message to them, but can you show me the faces of the two people? And he showed me, I said, who's the senior partner? He told me, and I went, and you're talking to him about money. And he said, yes, I said, stop talking money. Talk to him about, because this guy's all about service, receiving service. He'll also be about delivering service. To deliver the right service, they would get people into their build, building faster, which means they'd go into the next one sooner. So I said his business partner was about the money and also had the traits where he showed me he didn't like to do long-term projects, wanted to get them finished and move on to the next one. So I said, talk to the first one about the value and the service, I should say, that's going to be delivered, how people are going to feel, what needs to be there. And the building's got to be the right way so it's got the right appearance so that more people come in. Then look at your part, the other, his partner and say, then by doing that, you'll get this one filled sooner. You'll have more money coming, which means you'll be able to move on to the next project sooner. And you'll be able to get through the whole lot of them in a much faster period of time. In the conversation, he had another 150000 to his original deal and signed him off on it. He then said to me, well, how about in all the negotiations I have, I just hire you to do the negotiations. And I said, well, that's fine but I get a percentage of the profits. Or if you like, you can just do the master course and learn how to do it for yourself. And he went, okay, I'll do the master course. <laughs> and that was my priority because I don't just want to work for an individual doing that. I mm. want to train other people so that when I do finally fall off the perch and I'm no longer right on this planet, it's still being used and people are getting the benefit from it. As I said, it's all about leaving a legacy and leaving the planet in a better place than you found it. So by training people, you can see why I'm so keen to find the best people and train them to be able to do what I do and have what they do to it. And they say, well, can I be as good as you? And I go, set the bar higher. I expect you to be better than me. 
because you get everything I've got to offer, but you'll bring to the table what you have in yourself and you put that together. It's got to be better than what I've got because it's more than what I've got. In addition to all of the people that you train, I wouldn't really worry about legacy in your place. Tell us something about your other projects and tell us where people can find you, please. Okay. Well, for my business, the best place to find me is through my website, which is my name, as you can see it there, Alan Stevens, A-L-A-N and S-T-E-V-N-S dot com dot A-U for Australia. But the other project, as I said, it's all about building relationships. I realized in initially a lot of men didn't know their place at home, didn't know their place at work because at home they thought our job was to go out, bring the resources in and look after the family. And then they said, but we're told we're physically and emotionally absent. We can't be in two places at once. That was frustrating. And at work, they were worried about gender equality and political correctness and the rules changing all the time and worried about saying the wrong thing and being condemned for it. So that was causing frustration and anger. And I realized that when you put all that together, in some cases, that leads to bullying in the workplace and even domestic violence. So I realized you don't beat people up who are going through those sort of situations. What you do is you understand them. So I thought, right. Let's start with the men and create a safe place where they could come and tell their stories. And so I created the campfire project, but I had women in there from day one. The men would come in, I'd interview them one-on-one, -on -one, no coaching, no guidance, no counseling or anything else, no telling them they were right or wrong, but just be the eyes and ears that they couldn't find. That in itself was the best therapy for most of them because they started listening to their unconscious mind. Because once they started talking, it came out and they finally listened to themselves. I then brought them into panel discussions and we talked about masculinity, pornography, femininity, toxicities of all different forms. That was when the women in the group started sending me personal messages saying, we love these guys. We've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions or so wisely on how to improve our societies. Is there any chance we can get involved? No, we're great. Be waiting for it. Put your hands up, come in, tell you your stories. Yeah, what you've been through, why you're doing what you're doing today. So people can understand who you are, brought them into the panel discussions. We'll cover any subject anyone wants to talk about. We talked about menstruation, menopause, does size matter in the bedroom? And these are mixed conversations. And by the way, if any of your listeners want to know the answer to that last one, you'll have to come into the group and listen to them. <laughs> but that's a good book. And so oh, our membership went up really quickly when I started saying that in all the different talks I was doing. But we've got people from all over the world. I've interviewed people on every continent. A number of years ago, when I turned 68, they organized a surprise birthday party for me in the middle of COVID. And it was celebrated on seven continents. Wow. And that was with people. And I thought they couldn't top that, but they got me for my 70th year last year. And with that, was with birthday wishes and celebration videos and things coming through. And again, people talking about how what I'd put together had changed their lives and in a lot of cases saved their lives. But in reality, got, all I did was provide a safe place. They stepped up and they did all that for themselves. And I just feel really honored for them to trust me enough to come to me and do that. That's a campfireproject.com.au is a website and you'll find everything from there. Awesome. You're also on LinkedIn a lot. As yeah. Far as I can see. Yeah. You'll find there are quite a number of Alan Stevens on the internet on LinkedIn. I'm connected to about six or seven of them. If you're looking, just look for Alan Stevens or look for uh, reading faces. That will bring me up there as well. So it's the quickest way to find me. But I love to connect with people on LinkedIn and keep the conversations going. Because I love to see what other people are doing 
and how they can then support the people in my network as well. Great. Thanks for coming, Alan. What? People can find me on fearless-pricing.com and now again, YouTube and soon again, TikTok and all over the place. It's fearless pricing all the way. People, thank you very much for your time here. I think this was a great conversation. And if you want to hear more people talk about their price and what they should and shouldn't do about it, subscribe. See you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, simply subscribe. Until next time, your host, Philip Wojcic.